Jason Lakis, thanks for being here. You officiated my wedding, so you're pretty important to me and my husband. And you met him in 2010, right? When you guys were going to start college? Yes. We actually were messaging back and forth on the on the Gonzaga University, I guess, MySpace chat, the MySpace equivalent. I was messaging with Mike, yeah, in 2009, which is pretty unreal. You know, you go from 2009 to 2000, when's your wedding? 2022? Yeah. Right, last year? You know, you go that long years? from just strangers to messaging each other to officiating a wedding. So yeah, it's pretty wild. It's bonkers. Yeah. I have that same thought of just knowing someone going from strangers to deep friendships, but also when you have a friendship breakup or if you have a breakup, it's also just strange to think of how close someone once was to you. And then they're just a stranger again out in the world and you don't know what's going on with them. So I didn't mean to make that depressing, but it's just weird how (laughs) you can go both ways and go from stranger to so close and vice versa. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Me and your husband's relationship was meant to be. I love it. I love it. And you guys have grown and changed so much since then. I mean, who hasn't changed in the last 15 or so years, especially from age 18 to now, you know, but yeah, it's funny especially to going back. to college together. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to see. You guys have so much in common, even though you're very different. And I think that's really cool. Would you say that's are, accurate or no? Yeah, we're very different. That's for sure. I think, I mean, Mike is Mike. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> for, one, for people that know him, that's, it makes perfect sense. But uh, yeah, I mean, we have grown so much since college, but I don't know, in the same way, we are kind of still the same individuals. I mean, we're Mike, especially he's always been super driven and just always curious and never really satisfied with, I guess, a normal result. And that's mm-hmm. really, I kind of defines Mike in a lot of different ways as well. But, but yeah. Do you feel that defines you too? The never really satisfied? You know what? I, so I actually listened back to one of your guys's or both of your episodes prior and you were talking about the it's the Enna, Enneagram. Yeah. Yeah. Enneagram. Enneagram. Do you yeah. know what your type is? <laughs> so I actually did the test and I don't know if I, if I like it, but it said, I, and it said I was a three, but mm-hmm. Michael's three too. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm a three with seven. To, uh, I was going to say seven. Tendencies. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess I vigorously pursue tasks, which is, which is true, but I don't know. I, I think these tests are all, it's, it's not an end all be all. I think they're good just to kind of, to make an assessment and just to kind of ponder about it, but I don't think it necessarily defines necessarily who you are, but yeah, I mean, I like to, I, I think I'm not easily satisfied, especially when it comes to you know, things that I'm doing or pursuing, which can sometimes be a little stressful, but, but that's, that's what makes me, me. And, you know, that's what makes Mike, Mike and so on. Yeah. Did you feel like when you read the description for a three, it was two on the nose that made you not interested in it? Or do you feel like it just wasn't how you see yourself? To be honest, there was a paywall after the second paragraph and I stopped reading. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. That? Yeah. No, but yeah. From, from what I took from it, I thought it didn't resonate. It, I thought some parts did, but 
I'm not, I, what is a seven and an eight? I, I actually wasn't able to really read up on those. You know, I'm not an expert by any means. It's just, I have a few friends who are sevens and that I, I could see that for you. I think it's very much a Renaissance person who's doing multiple different things and has a lot of different interests. Again, don't quote me on this, but gets very easily excited about new ideas and follows those passions. And so that's something that I see in you. Gotcha. That definitely makes sense. So I think maybe probably a little bit of both is, uh, yeah, yeah, makes sense. One thing I think you're really good at is maintaining really deep relationships, long distance. And I think that's very unique for men. And maybe you don't agree with that, but I think that it can be hard for people in general to maintain long distance relationships. But I think especially for males, it just seems that requires a little bit more vulnerability to call someone and really check in. And I just admire that you, you do that with all of your friends. And I just think that's really wonderful and unique and not something that everyone does. Yeah, I think you said it too, but the whole vulnerability aspect of it. But I mean, I, it's clear and I've made this clear to myself in my life that I've prioritized relationships as that's, that's number one for me. And I think, you know, as a, as a nurse, especially just it's within kind of my being to, to heal, to give back to others, to be thinking about others, to strengthen others. That's, that's kind of my comfort zone when I'm helping people or when I'm reaching out to people when I'm strengthening relationships and yeah, being vulnerable, like you mentioned, I think is, is key when you're prioritizing relationships and not just prioritizing them, but really digging deep. And that's how, kind of how you, I don't know, that's how you suck the juice out of your relationships. And yeah, I mean, I try to pride myself and, and really focus on that because in the end, that's really all that matters is, you know, your faith, your family and the relationships that you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really struck by you saying you're a healer and that's kind of part of your identity because I first heard that term about this woman who I didn't really know, but I, she passed away suddenly from COVID. And I talk about this in the podcast episode I just recorded, but she identified as a healer and she was this really inspirational person. And so when I heard that, that really struck me and I thought, wow, I identify with that and I want to be a healer as well. And I kind of put up a wall and said, oh, but I'm not in the medical field. I'm not a nurse. I'm not providing physical healing. But I don't think that you have to get bogged down in that one narrow definition of healing. And you kind of touched on that, on how it's it's really just about being connected and vulnerable with other humans. And so it can look a bunch of different ways. But I just think it's very interesting that you named that because I do feel anyone in the nursing profession would identify as a healer. And I definitely see that in you. And so when you're talking about the way you maintain your relationships, um, it's interesting that that's the through line that you see as well. Yeah. Um, like you said, I think being, being, it doesn't just mean that you're in the hospital working, you know, with patients or this and that. I mean, you could heal people. It's just a simple conversation and you could heal people at the gym when you're just making side conversation or saying something. You never really know when you could heal anybody. And mm -hmm. if you kind of bring that mindset into everyday life, 
it makes things a lot easier. But yeah, I mean, I was, I was born around it. Both my mom and dad are both nurses and that's kind of all I, all I ever knew was that kind of mindset and caring for people. And yeah, I try to bring that into all my relationships. And so it's funny. I have, I mean, of course, all my, all my guy friends that I have and female as well, but it's, it's nice knowing that I'm, I'm relied upon for a lot of medical questions, or at least with the relationships that I've made through the medical field, you know, I know doctors, NPs, PAs, you know, surgeons. So I, I know I have kind of the whole gambit underneath my belt. And so, yeah, I mean, if I, if I could help someone out with a referral or anything like that, it's just nice to know that I have a, a really good friend group and people that I'm able to coordinate with each other just to mm-hmm. provide any type of healing. Yeah. Any type of care and connection there. That's awesome. Yeah. You said that you grew up around it. Your parents are both nurses. Did you feel pressure to become a nurse or did you see the way they lived and you really thought, I want to emulate that <laughs> or neither? Yeah. No, I think it was the latter. Um, I think just like I said, naturally, I, I kind of, I'm a, I'm a people person. And then when yeah. you pair that, when you pair that with the science and just, it was kind of a perfect match. So yeah, I, I went into as a freshman at Gonzaga with a nursing and music major, which the music major ended up just becoming a minor. But yeah, I, I always kind of knew I wanted to go the science route. And then I think mm-hmm. as high school kind of came around and I, I started actually looking at different jobs and, hey, you know, nurses get paid really well. There's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity for growth. You could travel. These are all things mm-hmm. that I love and I'm passionate about. And I'm in a room full of girls. So why, <laughs> why wouldn't could I be worse. do that? It could be a lot worse. And I got really good at braiding, braiding hair because I'm always sitting behind. Did you really? Um, going, oh my God. Yeah. I had the, what's the, the main braid. I had fishtail down. Wow. Uh, That's yeah, a tricky one. Most girls don't have fishtail down. Mm-hmm. Kudos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's what, that's what I, that's what I was, that's what I was doing at Gonzaga nursing school, <laughs> Bra- braiding hair and carrying brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. That's fun. You talked about how you were going to be a music major too. So when did you, when did your musical journey begin and did you always play multiple instruments, one instrument? How did this start? Yeah. I, my parents both, they're both pretty musical my dad was in a band in high school and throughout his kind of I college didn't know career. That. Oh cool. my gosh. I, I got to show you, I'll show you a picture when we're done with this, but my dad just, you know, he's pretty bald now, <laughs> but he had, God, this was the, what the seventies, I suppose. Yeah. Late seventies, just long, luscious, blonde flow. hair. Oh my just gosh. Massive flow. He was on, he was on the track team. He was pole vaulter. He was the lead singer to a garage band. Yeah. My dad got after it. <laughs> yeah. I see where uh, you get it from. Yeah. Yeah, really. And then my mom, she, she plays guitar. She could actually still strum some chords here and there. And she sang in church, I believe as well. So yeah, they, my parents stuck me in violin lessons when I was four and a half, five years old and really just blossomed from there. Just through natural curiosity, I guess, just I started violin and that progressed to doing music camps during the summer, 
And eventually in middle school, I picked up the guitar and started taking lessons probably when I was around 12 years old. And then, yeah, just, it's, it's just become something who you are and you just identify with it. So I guess you don't really think about, I've, I've been playing music for, you know, since I was four years old. So I think something that's been really awesome is just being able to be curious and be able to expand beyond violin and guitar and then going over to viola and then picking up jazz piano in college and playing in multiple music groups. I don't necessarily see myself as a as a, a lead singer, but I was in Gonzaga's acapella group for four years. I was the music director or uh, my senior year. So it's always been a part of my life and it still is today. We have a, I'm in a eight, eight person funk band down here in San Diego. And we have a, we have a show on Friday. <laughs> oh, I wish I could go. So fun. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be close. You're going to be in LA. Yeah. More in the Ven Ventura Ventura area. So okay. Well, but you guys have you and Mike have seen one of our shows before, right? Or is that just Mike? Mike, Mike has. I never have. It's very okay. upsetting to me. So. <laughs> Mike's seen a couple of our shows yeah. back in the day. Um, He's shown yeah, me well, videos. You guys are great. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, we'll have to get you down here at some point. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. that's been music is my life. So do you feel music is a language? Because to me it seems like something that I can't speak by not being a musical person. I can appreciate music as a listener, but I really think there's just something so much more potent about being to create, to express yourself in that medium and having that shared connection, for example, with your brother. Do you feel it's almost like speaking a language together or does that not, that imagery not really resonate? No, it, it does for sure. I think you could think of it in multiple ways, it's, you know, you don't need to know how to write or be able to read music to know the quote unquote language, you know, music is something mm -hmm. that we all feel and we all feel differently about it. And in different ways, we're able to just utilize or be able to tap into that, you know, whatever that is for you. For me, uh, yeah, music is 100% a language that I've been playing music with my brother for you know in various bands for probably over 20 years and it does get to a point where you don't need any type of verbal cues mm -hmm. you could just look at it you could look at each other you could look at their fingers you know what's coming you could pick up on some cues for sure just from being able to play with each other for so long I think one of the, the biggest it, on your take, how you said music being a, a language. When I was a senior in in high school, I was playing the violin and they read in treble clef. So basically, let's say it's like reading in English, the English language. And then prior to switching, prior to going to Gonzaga, I ended up switching to viola, which is very similar. It's played the same way on your chin except you you read in alto clef so it's like reading in spanish as opposed to english and mm. so that was actually a really challenging transition especially from high school to college and also switching from violin to viola and having to deal with that the treble clef to alto clef 
and new music and new director, new orchestra, reading the new cloth. So that was definitely a, a challenge. I can't believe you took on something is already so overwhelming. I was so overwhelmed with the transition from high school to college, period. So dang that you threw more at yourself. Very <laughs> hardcore. That's, yeah, my music teacher, she actually recommends doing that usually a little earlier than how I did it. But violins are kind of a dime a dozen. No offense to the violinists out there because I'm still one, but violists are a lot more rare. And so Got it. for that reason, you're able to usually fish out a little bit of a better music scholarship that way. Mm. So it's kind of a backdoor. <laughs> yeah. <could. laughs> and does she recommend just pushing yourself to essentially speak different languages by switching or is it more of a competitive edge? Is it, it's both. both. Yeah. It's both. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely competitive edge, but then also, it's made me such a better musician. Totally. Not that I, I bet. Not that I read alto clef all the time now, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm fluent in another musical language, so I, I understand it. So yeah, I'd probably say both aspects, definitely. That's cool. And when you, I mean, music is so emotional. I think it's almost another sense, you know, the five senses. It can really, you know, when you smell something particular, it, brings up a very visceral feeling. And when you hear a certain song, it triggers a certain memory. And so do you process your emotions through music at all? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I, I'm trying to think of an example. But yeah, I mean, I feel all of us can hear a certain song and that song will evoke some type of emotion. I feel pretty much anybody can do that. I think maybe to the degree that it's felt might be different. Yeah. But yeah, I guess I can't really specifically think of a of an example for that, but I definitely agree with that sentiment. Yeah. And I don't even think I was fishing for an example. It's just, is it therapeutic for you if you're feeling stressed or a certain way yeah. when you have, you know that you're going to spend time with your band or if you just want to mess around on your own, does that help? Is it cathartic? Yeah, it's very cathartic. I I mean, you could take one look at my voice memos on my phone and, you know, I have thousands of voice oh, memos, yeah? which, which are just, you know, guitar riffs, piano mm-hmm. melodies, me humming, me beatboxing a, a beat that I really like. Or So, I mean, I feel that's definitely a, a, th- a form of yeah, therapy, I suppose, but mm-hmm. it's just something that's I don't know. It's nice to have the phone to be able to use that kind of Mm -hmm. like a little diary because, you know, you could find a song that will remind you of a specific moment that you would have never thought about if you didn't have that song. So I think it's really beneficial to to do that. Yeah. I just think it's it's such a beautiful, like you said, diary and way to express yourself that I'm personally envious of. I took piano lessons when I was in third or fourth grade, and I was actually fired by my piano teacher for having an attitude <laughs> problem. I don't know if this tracks oh, no. or resonates <laughs> at all, but yeah, I didn't want to do my theory homework oh, where you yeah. had to actually do homework. I was not interested. I just want to play. I don't want to do any writing homework, <laughs> and she did not appreciate that. But I, I saw my peer group later in high school, the beautiful things they could put together. And I did feel a sense of sadness that I didn't stick with it because 
it's almost like a loss. I could have really cultivated that. Well, you've also, you, you do other things to get similar emotions or be able to like, can you, and I, I haven't even really asked you about it, but I'm really curious about your, your marathons that you ran. <laughs> yeah, I do feel you could make some parallels there to me. Absolutely. I'm just like, well, that's not the same at all. You're creating a piece of art, whereas I'm just, you're a badass. You ran two full <laughs> marathons and you qualified for Boston. You got to give yourself credit. I want to hear about I it. I do. I do. And yes, I am very proud of myself. Michael and I both had goals to qualify for Boston and we did, and we're going to run next year and it's going to be very cool. And so I do feel proud and accomplished for setting a goal and achieving it, but I think it's more methodical, like, not methodical, but it just feels very prescribed. And for me, at least, if I just break down a big goal, I know I can chip away at it and I'm not discounting it. I think it's still something I'm very happy that I did. And I acknowledge that not everyone could do that, but I wouldn't say it's the same as having a creative outlet. For me, I think writing is my therapeutic mm. method where I just need to get my feelings out by getting them on paper. So that's more of my my diary, my, my physical diary of similar but, um, to your voice notes. Yeah. What, cause you said that you write, but what made you, cause I know you've kind of had this idea of doing a podcast, but you kind of were dragging your feet on it, but what was kind of the, the last straw that was like, all right, my foot's down. I'm going to do this. What made you start? Yeah. So it's funny. I was just emailing a woman who was, who has, a beautiful newsletter and she's a person that I used to work with and she's been one of my big inspirations of just sharing your words publicly. Awesome. And so I reached out to her after she self-published a book and I told her how awesome it was and she we started a friendship and she told me, she asked me, you know, what is your dream scenario? And I said, I always feel silly saying this, but to be Oprah, which is it sounds ridiculous to say, but she just had a talk show where she got to be really vulnerable with people and go into topics that she found relevant. And she touched on so many things that helped so many people. So she is a healer, even though she's not, she doesn't have a PhD, you know, she did something that helps people. And so that's my ideal day would be to be Oprah. And so the closest I can get is a podcast. I love <laughs> Having these conversations, I find it so fulfilling. It's so interesting diving into how people make decisions and what makes them tick. I just think mm -hmm. that's so cool. And then to finally actually do it a few weeks ago, or I guess in March, I was emailing with another person who has a blog that I really admire. And I reached out to him and said, you've been a big inspiration for me. And he basically was like, get off your ass and get out of your own way and stop letting your ego prevent you from doing it and, and what's stopping you. And so I finally made the blog, published a podcast that I, two episodes that I, or episode that I was sitting on, I had recorded it, but I was yep. too scared in my perfectionism. So I finally mm -hmm. was just like, I'm just going to get it out there because that's going to feel good. And it, and it has felt good. It's scary, but it feels good. Yeah, I bet you keep saying vulnerable and I've said that a couple of times too, but like, that's, that really is how you dig deeper. At least that's how I'm finding just being vulnerable, being open. And it's kind of hard to not care about the end result because mm -hmm. what my Enneagrams of three or, <laughs> you know, and yeah, I don't, 
you know, but it really isn't, I guess this can correlate to music as well, but you know, if, if we're all focused about the end result for a song, you know, is that, is that really what matters is the end result? How does that song sound? How does that song feel? Or is it the process? Is it the creation? Is it the steps that you put together? Is it the mindset that you put yourself in to just think of a riff? I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's that. I, I, I think if you're able to disconnect the result with the process and just look at you are doing, you are living, you are creating. Of course, this is challenging, but at least I feel I've gotten slightly better at this. If you just look at it, this is the creative process and this is what it's about. It will, I think, just passively make the result better, you know, just because you're not so focused and hitting it from all angles. Yeah, that's just an observation. Oh, absolutely. I think that's one of my life's work is to try to embrace process over result. And we're in such a results oriented society. And I've been such a results chaser my whole life. And as, as soon as I, you know, as soon as I qualified for Boston, I was like, okay, now I have to run an ultra marathon. You know, it's just like constantly moving the goalpost. So the marathon is a bit more difficult because that one is very results focused, but I do think the process of getting in shape and committing to yourself obviously is super important. You wouldn't get to the finish line without that process, but in life, I think it's also a presence thing, a mindfulness thing of just enjoying the flow that you're in and and getting there versus getting wrapped up in the outcome. Yeah. The flow. I, yeah, it's challenging. And I think there's just so many distractions. Yeah, I mean, there always has been there always has been to wherever generation you're in and, you know, to each of their own. But for us, there really is so much distraction. There's so much content. Everyone's you're on mm-hmm. Twitter, you're on Instagram, you're on blogs, you're on YouTube, you're driving and you see ads, you you're on the radio, you're listening. And it's it's so much and it's always especially for people like you and me Kendall it's you know we're optimized it's optimize 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 and it's we're always looking how we can better ourselves or just put a lot of pressure on ourselves to have a good end result whatever that is and mm-hmm. i think it's just it's very challenging to slow down focus it's okay to put on blinders and just execute your routine, just do, do what you need to do so that you could find that flow, whatever that is for you. But yeah, it's, it's, it could be overwhelming. There's so much noise. There's so much overstimulation. It's really hard to just sit with yourself and I'm finding it very challenging to look in the mirror and be like, what is it that I want? Because Mm. I know I don't want this thing that I've been chasing or been told to chase, but yeah. it's very hard to actually write your own playbook of what you do want. <laughs> At least I find. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I think a lot of it, uh, at least, I mean, I struggle with it every day, um, but it's trying to just focus in on a routine that makes you feel happy. Mm-hmm. And really just, I feel the distractions and the content is so in your face and so aggressive that yeah. you need to attack your routine with with as much aggressiveness, because Mm -hmm. if you don't, then it's really easy to succumb to that pressure. And 
you know, and then feel bad and start asking questions about yourself. And I feel like attacking your routine, whatever that is for you, you know, waking up at 6.30, going to the gym, not looking at the phone until eight, and then you work Mm -hmm. from eight to, you know, people have their own routines, but I tell myself this all the time. It's okay to just put your blinders on and not, you know, it's okay to not optimize, optimize, optimize. What's the next Twitter thread? What's a really, you know, it's hard because I want to continue to learn, but at some point it's all right, well, let's shut it down and see what I could do. I almost feel oversaturated from others. You know, it's what do I, what am I even capable of or what do I want? When you say put blinders on and focus on your routine, is there something that comes to mind that you're trying to build or focus on instead of getting bogged down in the Um, self-improvement game? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. For real, it is a game. I think it's more so just my mindset. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very busy. I mean, we're all busy. We all could say that. I think it's just my mindset within everything. It's easy to get down or sad about something or, you know, we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves to quote unquote succeed, but why, what, what, what is, why do we need to succeed? Just asking why, what is important? Why are we asking these questions? I think just trying to dig deeper and then you need to be vulnerable with yourself and ask these questions and have these kind of dialogues within yourself and try to figure out what's truly, truly important to you. Work's work. And I know for me, it's prioritizing my relationships with people. And that's why that's why I'm constantly calling friends, reaching out. I'm trying to travel. I'm trying to strengthen these ties that I've had because I've found that whenever I do, I feel good, mm-hmm. period. And it's something that I don't need to think about and a lot of other things in life. And I'm trying to optimize, optimize results, results. Yeah. I might not, I might feel good if I, you know, get a result that's, you know, whatever it is, I achieve something, but it always leaves me feeling a little bit empty. But when I'm focusing on my friends and I'm focusing on others, I feel fulfilled. Yeah. That's a takeaway for me majorly in this time that I'm not working where I'm really ruminating on myself and trying to get it right. And I don't know what that means, but the minute I step outside myself and go volunteer or spend time with new friends, I feel so refreshed and it just all makes sense. And I'm just very fulfilled versus if I'm spending time spinning out about my shortcomings, it's just, who is that helping? (laughs) You know, I don't know. Sometimes I think there's value in being super self-aware and hard on yourself, but I'm learning to balance that and be like, who is that really benefiting? You know, you think you're growing, but maybe you're not by doing that. You know, maybe you're holding yourself back. Yeah. It's all very strange. Life is very peculiar. (laughs) Humans are human. Right. The human experience. Do you feel does this ever come up for you a sense of inequality in your friendships? Often are you the one reaching out and do you ever feel resentful about that? Or do you just give and you're just more positive and you're just, I'm going to send out the vibes that I would like to receive. Does that ever come up for you? It does, but I feel it's the way you look at each friendship because it's, 
every friendship isn't equal. It's not like a scale right. from zero yeah. to 10. It's, it is a feel, it is a vibe. And I feel the friendships that, that I have, everyone, it's, it's kind of just something that's understood because I mean, um, well, you could take Mike, for example, um, your, your husband, he, me and him, we have our own discord channel and we talk here and there, but honestly, I talk to a lot of other friends more often than Mike. Now that's just kind of, it's a built-in groove that we've kind of established and, and yeah, it is, it is an interesting, it's, it's interesting to think about that, but yeah, I mean, I don't think a communication once a week is any different from a communication once every two months, as long right. as that relationship is already established and there's already just an understanding between, you know, the two people, but it is interesting to think about. Yeah. I mean, I don't really think of it in terms of comparing frequencies because I totally agree mm. that it's, you can have a really wonderful conversation less frequent than talking to someone more frequent and it doesn't put one above the other. I was more after, do you ever feel you're putting more into a relationship than you're getting back? And I'm not trying to poke you and make you feel that way, but I (laughs) sometimes feel that way when I'm the one making more of an effort. And like you said, friendships are not all balanced and you should, I shouldn't probably have that perspective, but I don't know if if that ever comes up for you. I feel that's natural. I mean, Sure. I, I've definitely been in or I've had friendships where, yeah, I'll, you know, call them or text them or something and then, you know, no response or just it seems it's one sided where I'll be the initiator. And mm-hmm. then once I initiate, then it's all good. And right. I don't hear from that person. Initiate. They rarely. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, that's just that's just the way it is. That's an understanding. And the fact that I would continue to initiate as long as, you know, that other channel is open the other way. I don't, I don't really think of that or don't, I don't really have any resentment because that's just how some friendships are. And I'm mm-hmm. sure, and I'm sure there's some friends that might feel like that for me. Maybe I don't mm-hmm. reach out and maybe I just don't, I haven't realized it because that's just the way the friendship is. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, that's, it, it's interesting to think about that, but yeah, just friendships come in all different sizes and you know it's yeah I think just prioritizing them and and yeah I think you have an excellent way of not keeping score you're very much fluid and you don't seem to have resentments I mean everyone has their days where they're frustrated but it seems you don't hold grudges that seems like something that's pretty important to you does that seem accurate or yeah, I, I'd say that's accurate. If it's, if whatever I'm I'm doing or I'm going to feel doesn't benefit me, then I just try to let it go. I've mm-hmm. learned that the hard way and I'm sure I'm, I've <laughs> lots more to learn about it. But yeah, I think I've come to the point, <laughs> I'm 31, about to be 32 this year. If there's a feeling or something that I don't like, then I'm just going to try to address it and then just completely eliminate that feeling and or if it's a person from my life and so be it. But you know, we ain't got time for that. <laughs> well, yeah, I just think instead of getting more of the take a machete to your friendship list, you know, it seems you're you're better <laughs> at evaluating, you know, do I want to feel I don't know. I was just listening to this podcast where they interviewed an author saying how to 
break up with your friends. And she wasn't just <laughs> encouraging you to cut off all your friends, but she was saying that friendships, it can be a little bit different because we don't really have the language for conflict in friendship. You kind of just assume your friendships should be steady. At least this has been <clears throat> my experience where if you just have a longstanding friendship and you haven't really had a blow up or, you know, you haven't had to discuss really hard things, it can be something can kind of build if something's bothering you and you don't know how to address it. I think that can just be difficult. So it sounds like you do a good job of one, not taking things personally, and then two, really letting go of things that aren't serving you. Whereas I tend to nourish my grudges sometimes and give them too nourish. much energy <laughs> in, and it doesn't benefit me by any means, you know, it only hurts me. Yeah. I mean, I think it's sometimes hard to do just cause I think just naturally, um, those types of feelings are, um, I mean, they are, they do have an addictive quality. Um, sometimes yeah. it does feel good to, to have those kind of not so good feelings and to, you know, kind of dwell in that. But, but yeah, I, I guess I just, I just try to completely eliminate that. I mean, I not avoid because some things you can't avoid, but at least again, be vulnerable with the people that you care about. If it's not reciprocated, then kind of reassess that friendship. And if it's something that you don't want, then bye. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel your adept at conflict addressing something if it isn't working for you say that again do you feel you are comfortable with conflict with friends and being able to address something in a way that's not going to hurt their feelings and i mean in a way that's going to be constructive versus pointing blame do you feel that's something you do well i wouldn't yeah i probably wouldn't say comfortable but i think yeah. i'm i'm getting better at just being aware and then from that awareness just being able to be vulnerable there you go again mm -hmm. and be able to have that conversation and because in the end being vulnerable will be there I don't think there's an example where vulnerability is a bad thing because if it ends up being whatever result it, it is at least you're being completely truthful you're being aware you're being vulnerable in this situation. So I definitely not comfortable. Yeah. I don't think anyone's that. comfortable with conflict. Yeah. Because yeah. it is awkward. It, it, it is awkward ever having these conversations. But I think even talking to you right now and, and just being open and you starting this podcast and your blog and everything, these are steps that you're doing to be open with others. And it's going to translate and probably help you grow in the real life, you know? Yeah. I do try to tell myself if I'm feeling a little bit slighted that I just want to be the friend that I want to have. And so even if I don't feel a friend is showing up for me in the exact way that I want them to, I just try to stay in my, I tell myself to try to stay in my integrity instead of projecting or anything like that. Yeah. It's hard too, because we're talking about structured things and, and like it get overwhelming just trying to have a mode for every type of feeling that you're feeling and sometimes it's just nice to just let go of everything you know we're talking about routine and distractions and how to address uncomfortable moments or this and that but i don't know i think in the end it's like i'm really trying to just be able to 
live in a state where all this is kind of just happens naturally. I think that's kind of the goal because it's, it's exhausting trying to, you know, optimize, 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 figure things out, how to address things and kind of always having that active mind can be really exhausting. So I'm looking forward to whenever that happens, just being able to not have to like actively think about these, I guess, quote unquote strategies and just kind of live. You're looking forward to it. Are you getting there soon? Is this happening? (laughs) Honestly, sometimes I I feel I'm getting more enlightenment moments here and there. And, and also just, I don't really care about what people think, which is a big, I think, hurdle. At least it was for me, especially with the things that I'm involved in. A lot of it is like, or even at work presenting or anything. It's just, I'm going to do me and not really try to worry about anything else and anything that comes from that. So I feel like it's, it's maybe making some steps, but how about yourself? Are you meditating? It sounds like you've been meditating. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think just even not even like purposefully meditating, but I guess just awareness and breathing. Yeah. But doing that throughout the day in random moments, even if it's during a work meeting or if it's on the stage, having three seconds to yourself where you just kind of black out and breathe, not, not physically black out. Can't do that. But you do that on stage. You take a deep breath as you're performing. And it's not planned, but I've been very much aware that I need these five second, like, I guess I could call them like little blackout (laughs) moments or meditation moments. Maybe it's a a nicer word, but Mm -hmm. um, where you're just, you're very, very intentional about it. And it's just for, I mean, it could be, I guess, anything for anybody, but for me, it's just a breath, like just deep breathing, looking up from out, going outside. It's, I guess it's just being present. So it's not in relation to performing when you say bookends, like in five, like breaths that you need. That's something you just try to practice in any activity that you're doing. Yeah. And any, any, any activity, I guess just music came to my mind. So I said it, but yeah, like the last show I was able to, I guess, have a moment. It's having a moment with yourself. Yeah. For yourself. But it's just taking that step back and having your moment. But if you're able to do that throughout the day and not just like, okay, I'm going to a hot yoga and I have 45 minutes to myself. That's great. That's cool. But trying to space them out in little mini power packs throughout the day, it's like, Mm. it's really helped me to have more focus and just really putting energy in the things that really matter. Yeah. It's like a fuel station where it's just like, I'm going to take in some fuel real quick and it's just focus. Yeah. that's That's a good way to put it. Do you meditate or do you do any type of, I know you and Mike are like super healthy and doing the, are you guys doing the cold plunges and all that still? So yes, cold plunging. Yes. Ooh, after That's been really cool. And definitely something I wouldn't have done without Michael's push. It was really hard when it was like January and snowing and he wanted <laughs> oh me to get God. in there and it was freezing, but it was, it was really cool to see yourself overcome a mental Mm -hmm. hurdle where you're just like, I really do not want to do that. And then you're just doing it. And once you've committed, it's really uncomfortable, but it, it feels good to know that you are mentally tough and you can just do something uncomfortable. So 
that was cool. Now that it's so nice out, it feels much more lovely to get in a cold plunge. <laughs> it's still cold. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like before where you're just like the last thing you want to do is be in a swimsuit and get in a tub of freezing water. Whereas it sounds oh much more God. welcoming now. So that, yeah, I think we've done a good job of trying to push ourselves and do things we wouldn't ordinarily do. But I don't have a regular meditation practice, even though I know that's something that's blaringly obvious that I need to be doing. It's hard. I think it's hard. Yeah, it, it's hard. And also putting that pressure and being like, I need to meditate instead of yeah. like, that's challenging. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's definitely how I've structured it. I'm just like, I should be doing this. I should be working <laughs> out. I should be this. And I got really into bullet journaling past couple years. And so I would make a little grid of all the habits I wanted to do every day. And I would check them off daily if I did them. And it was like, you know, exercise, meditate, floss, eat clean, all these things. <laughs> and so every day I kind of felt like a failure because I didn't, there's no way I was doing all of those things every day. And so mm -hmm. I'd feel good when I got to, I, I, I get a little high when I get to check a box like that. It really absolutely helps me. But at the same time, it made me feel kind of terrible about myself. And so I've stopped doing that. I've stopped tracking things so religiously. And that has helped free me. But it also has kind of left me left me feeling a little untethered because I used to be such a tracker. And now I'm like, where are the days going? Like, yeah. No Is metrics there a to show. To that? <laughs> the metrics. Is there a middle ground to that? I think that's the title of my memoir. It's just <laughs> so hard to be in the gray. I have a very black and white mind. You're either all or nothing. And that's something I'm trying to get more comfortable with of just some days are good. Some days are bad. You can't be perfect every day. That's not a realistic standard. And so don't berate yourself for your, your humanity. Yeah. I, I should kind of have my brain works as well. Just being able to check off boxes is, is very satisfying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I still, I'll make a to-do list on Sunday night. And then actually yeah. this, I guess, pertains to like prioritizing relationships too, but I'll do my to-do list and then I'll make a list of people that I should call, should call, not have to call, but should call. Maybe that helps too, or want to call just because it's maybe been a little bit or been a while, but I'll do that. And then I'll try to write down one fun thing that I really want to do that week. And that's kind of my Sunday routine. And then throughout the week, I'll, I will get that, you know, check bar, the checkbox high, you know, yeah. doing something. But I kind of found it's, it's structured enough where it makes my inner nurse mm -hmm. satisfied, but then also it gives me a lot of flexibility to be like, well, it's not broken down in the day. It's, um, yeah. you know, it's not a need to call list. It's should call or want to catch up mm -hmm. list. So I think also how you kind of phrase things for yourself. It's kind of like trying to fool yourself. That's kind of been a, a nice balance for me as opposed to Monday, this, 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 this. Oh, oh, I didn't get that done. And then you feel like a failure. That's kind of been a nice middle ground for me. I love that. I'm stealing that and just being oh, more okay do. with a weekly to do instead of, because every day I just roll over my same list and it feels very stressful. And I'm just like, yeah. Ah. I also love that you make a list of people you want to connect with. I think that's very intentional. And then also having a fun thing on there. That is lovely because my to-do list <laughs> is so unfun. You know, it's never a <laughs> yeah, fun you thing. Fun you got to fun it, fun it up. Yeah, um, fun it up. But it also makes, if if I've 
made a clear intention to myself that I'm prioritizing relationships, I'm going to need to do something above average or ex uh, slightly extraordinary to be able to do that better than the normal person. And I feel like this is a good way to do that. And it's not very stressful either. And it's easy. Text messaging, FaceTime. It's, yeah. it's so easy to do it. But then I think sometimes being vulnerable and reaching out is a hurdle and it's the obstacle when it really shouldn't. And if you just kind of keep trying to break that down, it'll come to a point where it's just like maybe flat ground. If that makes sense. It's beautiful because it sounds like you are really living your values. You know, you said, if that's my highest priority, I have to act that way. And that's something I really struggle with because I think I have these, these high ideals of who I think I am, but sometimes I don't think I'm doing the daily activities that align with that. And I can't think of a specific example, but they're there. And so I think that's really lovely that you can point to that and say, Hey, my relationships are my highest priority. And that's why I make that concurrent to-do list next to it of people I want to connect with. So you're really putting your money where your mouth is. I love that. <laughs> I think a lot of that has to do with purpose and yeah, having that kind of conversation or thoughts with yourself. is like, what's, what's like my per quote unquote purpose, which isn't like an easy answer. And I think it probably takes a, a full lifetime to actually figure out what your whole purpose is. But I think that's something I struggle with is, you know, what's the purpose of doing all of these things. But if you're able to hone in on a couple of line items, if you will, I think mm -hmm. it makes that question a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know we're all struggling with what's the purpose. What are we doing here? Yeah. What are, what are Humans we supposed, right? Like why, <laughs> what's it all why? for? Um, yeah. And then I think we also get really distracted with all these other things you talked about. You, it's easy to get sucked into this stuff. And it's like, why? But why am I doing all of this? Yeah, why, why? Why Why? does my mind go this way when this happens? Why? And why is that important? Why, why, why? It's going back to being a, a little baby. It is. Yeah. This guy who I really admire, Kehi, his podcast has inspired me for years. And he just started a new one. But he... He quit his corporate job and became a, a blogger and he runs boot camps for other executive type people who want to get out of the rat race. And he, he packaged that in productivity courses because a lot of times he gets very existential, which is why I relate to him, but he thinks a lot <laughs> of the obsession with productivity is a fear of death. Why do you want to be more productive? He asked that question five times to people in this course. And then you get to the core belief of because I am worried that I'm not valuable or because I will not be loved or, you know, those core needs that we feel yeah. as humans. And so it's funny because we hide behind these external things and we all want to be more productive, but why ultimately what is yeah. driving that? It could be different for other people, but yeah, a lot of I, core I mean, fears are there. Yeah, it really is. Like why, do, why do we need to be productive? And what, do, what, what, does productive look like, you know? Right. And I mean, it is different for everybody, but if you're working for the man or you're working for, you know, so-and-so company, then, you know, they have, you have to be productive to serve their purpose. And yeah. that's usually not your life's purpose, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of a means to an end, but yeah, interesting things. And just always for me, conflating my purpose with my work. 
at least that it's been something that I have struggled with in the past. And I'm still oh, thinking yeah. I'm getting pretty caught up on that when I'm trying to think about what I want to do next. I'm, I'm in this paralysis because it has to be the right thing and it has to be aligned with my purpose. And I don't think that's yeah. always true. I think that can be really nice, but I think we are more than just what we do for money and capital to survive in this world. It'd be lovely if it was aligned with our individual unique purpose. Yeah. Um, One of my friends, cause I, I was kind of just lamenting to him many times, just, you know, my, my job and, you know, I'm looking to get out of it and this and that. And then he, he just was like, yo man, sometimes it's just a job. We have all of these thoughts and our minds, especially like you and me, Kendall, like we're hyper thinkers, we're always analyzing things, but like sometimes it's just a job and yeah. you work your job. And then outside of that, you're able to, you know, explore deeper and dig deeper. Um, mm-hmm. And that really helped. It's just like, and like, oh, I guess he's right. Like so many people don't have the option to even think if they want like a job uh, or like a specific job, they're just thrown into it. And that's what they do to live. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're now we have the ability like to pick a job that we want that will pay pretty dang good. We'll be able to support the life that we want to live, you know, and it's like, like I, I personally, like I'll still find a way to kind of bicker about my situation or like always maybe not bicker, but like find holes in it and always want to kind of, you know, yeah, get higher. And um, sometimes it's just a job. I don't know, yeah. like, like, like that helped me. <laughs> yeah. And not over identifying your worth with it, you know, and just being like, mm. you know, because I, I want it to seem prestigious to other people. I want like them to respect me through my job. I want to be important. And it's kind of like, why do we want to be productive? Why do I want to be important? Cause I want to be accepted and loved and revered. And I want people to think I'm smart and all these things. And it's just like, does your job have to say those things about you? Not necessarily, because I know wonderful people who do things that are, I don't know, beneath them, maybe, you know, like mm-hmm. they just don't need to be using their skills that way. You know, like people are so much more than their jobs. Yeah. And it's also easier to be able to show that purpose and have that like love with like relationships, like outside of work. Um, I think that's always challenging. Like it's, it is challenging it is hard to show your quote-unquote worth in a job and I think that's intentional um mm-hmm. how the system is set up because that makes us all try to eat each other's head off and yeah. optimize 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 and produce 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 um and it's just exhausting and I think that's the way the system's meant to be so if totally. you're able to at least have that awareness say okay this is a job this is just a job and then, which is hard to do. <laughs> um, I think if it didn't take, tap out. yeah, sorry to interrupt. I think it didn't no, take okay. so much of our days. Like if we weren't so attached to the 40 hour work week, it'd be easier for that. But it takes up so much of your life that I'm just like, if I'm going to spend 40 plus hours a week, my best waking hours, I want it to be something that matters. So it's hard because there's that push and pull of like a job, just a job, but it also is my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's spot on. It, that's spot on. It makes it that much harder to be able to like separate those emotions. Like, yeah, totally. 
Yeah. Ooh, if only it was as easy as reading uh, Tim Ferriss's four hour work week and just, right. you know, go, going out on the beach and, you know, logging into some account and spending an hour and then you're good, you know? Right. I know. I w- really do wish we could get away from the 40 hour work week and just like produce work as needed. But I know uh, it'd be really hard to manage, but I do wish we could just abolish it and just people waste <laughs> so think, much time. I think we're kind of going that route like college now is not yeah. as important as it used to be people are more yeah. focused on skills um what can you do what can you produce for us so i i think yeah. slowly but surely it's it's going to be turning that way but of course it's going to take a long time just because the system in place has been around yeah. for so long totally yeah, we need complete destruction <laughs> yes let's burn it all down that's what i want to do burn it down please um <laughs> I know we're running uh, over an hour and so I want to be respectful of your time. But one thing I want to go back to is you talked about how your brain is constantly optimizing and it can be really exhausting. And I relate to that deeply. Like Michael's always like, just turn off your brain and go to bed. And I'm like, easier said than done. Like my brain doesn't mm-hmm. just shut off. Like I'm so constantly trying to reassess how a situation went, how it could go better, you know, like it's just, I, and I waste a lot of time in my own brain, like on things that don't matter. And so it sounds like you're doing, you're actively being intentional about removing yourself from that dialogue that you've fed before. How are you, like, how have you gotten to this place? Uh, talking about it, like how we're doing now um, with mm-hmm. other friends, other people, but I think that there's, yeah, I don't know, like, like the whole thing, content, like there's so much content, content's everywhere. Um, and then just being okay with being okay with being left out of the loop on things. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so that means like not being as active on, um, on social media, you know, not having certain social media accounts um, really helps kind of put those blinders on. Or if you do use it, you know, you use it with, you know, set limitations, um, instead of just scrolling and looking down and then, oh my God, 45 minutes went by. Cause that happens super easy. And, Cause that's how it's made. Um, yeah. so I think, <laughs> I think it's social media, which is kind of a given. And then I think reading and obviously you're like probably the number one bookworm that I know. So that's not, oh. that w- won't be hard for you, but, um, and not, like not just reading, but getting away from the self-help books from Tim Ferriss Mm -hmm. from, I I, I love the guy, but, um, you know, it's just, it's so overwhelming. I, I love historical fiction, um, and, or autobiographies, biographies. Like I love reading those types of books because it just gets you into a different world. It gets you just out of there. So, I mean, I'm, I think that's probably one of the biggest um, strategies or tactics that I kind of use to help combat all of that, uh, you know, social yeah. media content optimized mindset is just being able to pick up a, you know, a fiction book um, mm-hmm. or an autobiography about, you know, so-and-so. I think that's something that's been helpful. And then of course, just putting limitations on um, certain things that could be distracting such as social media and, all the other stuff. Yeah. So it sounds like you're embracing pleasure, just like not productivity. 
you know? Raw pleasure. Yes. Raw yeah. pleasure. Of course, music is is there for me, listening to music, um, putting on my nice Bose headphones, closing the door, turning everything off and just listening to an album front to back. Yeah. Like that's yeah. beautiful. And for the 40 to 50 minutes that I'm doing that, it's like, that's the essence of being in the, in like the moment, you know? So I think mm-hmm. again, that's the process, which is what it's about. And then in the end, yes, like you've listened to the album, but it's that whole process right. of just listening, of reading, of going on my morning walks mm-hmm. without a phone um, in my pocket. Right. Just yeah. Little things like that, that can make a huge difference, I think. I notice when I'm depressed, when I haven't been listening to music, you know, because I've decided it's not productive and I'm only consuming podcasts and self-help, you know? <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I've been there. I've been there. It's hard, but sometimes you just got to shut it out. It's so sad when you say that, like, it's hard to just listen to music and just enjoy music. I just, like you said, with all this external bombardment, it didn't used to be hard. You know, I mean, we were younger and we had less responsibilities, but when did it get so hard to listen to music? It's just kind of breaks my heart. Yeah, no, I, I know. And I think again, it just kind of comes back to the, the machine um, and just kind of like, you know, we're force fed what our priorities should be and they're Mm -hmm. all totally jacked up. It's not the way it should be. So again, it's just like, we're older. We have more responsibilities now, but yeah, I don't think that should stop us from having that childlike mindset of mm-hmm. going out and looking up and seeing a bird and yeah. having enjoyment from that. Um, it sounds mm-hmm. lame, but or just the it's it's probably just like the most fundamental f- fundamental um, simple things that you can do that gives us the most pleasure. Um, but yeah, I know that is sad. Like why, why do we even, why are we even talking about like, oh man, like sometimes it's hard to listen to an album because I could be listening to this audio book about mm-hmm. um, uh, how to monetize my business better. Like it's sometimes it's, it's the matrix. Much. It's the matrix. And once you step outside of it, you can really see it for what it is, you know? Yes. Yes. You have those enlightenment moments, which, mm-hmm. you know, may be brief, but it whenever you do have them, it always leaves you wanting more. And it's like, all right, what was I doing when I felt this way? And then just like, or how did I, what was I doing before then? And how did that lead up to that moment? I feel like trying to be able to pinpoint those little nuggets and then be like, all right, how can I like get to feel like this more? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said it like watching a bird. It's a, it's a, fundamental human experience, such a simple thing that brings us the most joy. And I went on a walk in a park near our house and I was just like, that's going to be my focus. I'm not going to walk the dog. I'm not going to (laughs) focus on my steps and how far I go. I'm just going to like embrace every moment. And I honestly felt like I was on drugs. I was so happy. And I was just like, so present. I was just taking my time and sitting down and soaking in the sun. And I was just like, Oh my God, we are just human beings who need sunlight and we need the simple things. (laughs) And we've just gotten so divorced from those simple things that bring us joy and pleasure. And we know like 
we've been living for thousands of years and those are the simple things that we need to survive and thrive. And we've just, now we're in our little bubbles of scarcity and like looking at a screen, doing everything to our screen. It's just like, oh. Yeah. You, they, all the, the hip kids now, they, they're calling those uh, hot girl walks. Have you heard about this? Oh my gosh. I don't really they understand them, they hot girl hot anything. Girl walks. I, I just heard about this. I was like, I've I've been walking this way before the hot girl walks were, was a thing. <laughs> you were the way original hot girl walker. <laughs> yeah, I've been going on like my morning walks for multiple years. And then I was talking to my buddy. I'm like, he's like, oh, what are you up to? I'm just like going on my morning walk. And he's like, oh, you mean your hot girl walk? I'm like, <laughs> what? He's like, yeah, that's like, that's a thing. Like, all the hot girls go on walks in the morning. I'm just like, what? That's outrageous. We have know, to like put a term thing. on it and like sell it and like hashtag 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 hot on walk. Twitter. Yeah. Oh man. It's just like basic human things. We gotta make it and sell it and package it somehow. <laughs> I don't know. It's exactly. That, that's actually probably exactly what happened. Ugh. As long well, as it's getting more people out walking, fine. Yeah. It's that's probably a, for the best. That's a good. Point. So. Thank you so much for chatting with me. I learned so much about you. You seem like you're on a really good path. Like you're being very intentional and I'm going to try to steal some of your daily, weekly tasks that you do to stay in your values and living in your integrity. And I just love that. So thanks for shooting the shit with me. It was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for, uh, thanks for asking me to come on here and congrats on doing this. And I'm proud of you. And that's awesome. Keep it up. Oh, thanks.